It's time for the biggest bonanza in podcasting. With Dominic Stern and Nicholas Hodell, this is the College Basketball Bonanza. And welcome into the College Basketball Bonanza. Happy to have you on. Old intro, but we got a lot of new stuff going on here. My name is Nicholas Hodel. Nick Keneally is alongside. We got a lot going on, so I apologize if I sound very anxious, very rushed. We have a lot going on. A couple of guests coming on the show tonight. It's our Pac-12 preview, our home show. It is a big one, and uh, we have it to delay our women's basketball coverage introduction of that for a few weeks. We're still working on a great plan to really get some more Blaze members involved with our show to partner up with some great shows. Those plans are still in the works, but for right now, our Pac-12 men's basketball preview is going to be really, really solid tonight. And we're going to start things off with the team who really overachieved and surprised the country last year, and that was Arizona, the Wildcats in Tucson. And the first year under Tommy Lloyd couldn't have gone any better uh, for the Wildcats. But now the challenge for them is going to be getting up to that standard. And they won't be expected to get to that standard right away. But this is a really good returning core here, Nick, with, with guys like Pal Larson and Omar Ballo and, and, uh, and Kirk Crease really making themselves noticed and we have our first guest uh, coming in here we'll get him on in a few minutes uh but first i just want to get your thoughts from you on the core of this team oh yeah i mean uh a couple of major players leaving last year of course you look at benedict matherin christian coloco two of the the heads of the team but you do have uh a couple of your your major returners uh coming in some of your your leading juniors on this squad um first team all pack 12 players um, of course, I'm looking at Tubelis. Uh It's looking like a pretty solid core coming back in uh, for this team. You have Pac-12 Sixth Man of the Year, Pele Larson. He might come into a starting role this year, uh, depending on how can, he can adapt with this new core. Um, it'll be very, uh, it'll be an interesting new look for this squad. Yeah, I want to get your thoughts real quick on a few of the impact transfers. Uh, Cordy Rabian from Texas, Cedric Henderson Jr. from Campbell. Both were solid in, in their respective programs, but I want to get your takes on them real quick. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, a great uh, transfer class coming in for Arizona this year. Um, and will most likely make some uh, big changes for this squad. Um, of course, they had their 18-2 and two start. Uh, to the, their new tenure last year uh, under Tommy Lloyd. Um, but I'm really excited to see how these transfers can come in. Of course, um, a new look for the team um, with this still a, new, still a new coaching staff, really, but uh, it should be pretty exciting to watch. Yeah, and when we're, and I am literally running around right now the Bill Austin <laughs> Radio Studio, making sure everything is good. And, when, and with our first guest currently uh, joining us right, right now, now, he was... He was he was, he was at, at the, the blue-white blue game, game. Um, Friday night. It was red-blue game, I should say, red-blue. Uh, really good first-look opportunity, and we're going to bring in Cronkite News reporter Brendan Mao, who joins us now via Zoom. Brendan, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Yeah, Nick, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So the the red-blue game in the McHale Center, from all the footage that, that you took and your fellow uh, partner with, with uh, Cronkite News, it seems like the McHale Center was a fantastic atmosphere. Uh, from your first-hand experience, kind of what did you see from that? Yeah, I mean, 
it was alumni weekend there, so they had a lot of great alum alumnus come, and um, the one they got most excited for was DeAndre Ayton, but I think that really added a good element, for, especially for all the new players, to see, I mean, what Arizona basketball is all about. They had all of it right there. I mean, they had Richard Jefferson, uh, Jason Terry. I think it was just that combined with the sellout was just great for the whole team. Yeah, that was one of those showcases that was just – I mean, the, the amount of alumni they really brought in was really something else between the different events they were doing for that event. So that was really some, quite the sight to see on the timelines on Friday night. As for the red-blue game itself, who are some of the players who really uh, caught your eye during the uh, inter-scrimmage game? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, I was really impressed with Umar Balo. Uh, he had a great uh, end of the year last season, but you could tell his progression – uh, he had a really nice uh, steal and, and dunk. It was like, for how big he was, it was just impressive to see. He said, he said I couldn't do that last year. So, um, and that was really cool to see him uh, and his development, especially he didn't even play much at the beginning of last year, and he just, like, gone all the way. Now he's going to be the starting center. So I think he's going to be one of, if not the best player on the team. Um, and then another one was uh, freshman uh, Henry Vieser. Uh He had uh, 16 points. So him and Bala both had 16 points. Uh, I didn't really know what to what we were going to see out of their freshman, but he was definitely an impact player, if not the best player on the floor there. He went inside, outside. Uh, Tommy Lloyd said they like to uh, play two bigs. So he's a seven-footer too. So it's going to be interesting how they play. Yeah, yeah, the freshman from Estonia, that might be someone to really keep an eye on. As I mean, those freshmen may be buried among the experience at first, but, you know, some of those freshmen could really uh, jump up in there. Um, kind of the, the last point that Mr. Canini was talking about, the two transfers, uh, Cordy Ravy from Texas and Cedric Henderson Jr. from Campbell. How are those two players on Friday night? Yeah, uh, Ramey didn't really have that great of a game, um, but – I don't know. I think it's going to be a big key how consistent they are, uh, him and Kreese of their backcourt. I think that's going to be the key to how good they are this year. But, I mean, it's first first week of practice. I mean, it, I don't know. There wasn't much to expect. They're going to be a good defensive team. Uh, Henderson, he looked pretty athletic. He was in the dunk contest. He had a good dunk. Uh, he knocked down at least one three. I'm not sure. They didn't shoot the ball that well from three, but I don't know. It was like first game jitters and defense. And it was just like a really low key game. So, I mean, it's not much to really judge on. Yeah. And, yeah. And these players do have a, a solid month to really get things together as well. So, man, these first looks are always great to get a feel for the players and for the team. But you got a whole lot of work left before the start of the season. Um, final thing I, I want to touch on with, with you, Brendan, some of um, Coach Lloyd's. Um, words to the crowd at McHale Center, you know, just mentioning a different alumni like you were mentioning, having all those guys there uh, within his second season. Um, just really, where do you think the just the floor could be for this Arizona team? And just how much do you think Coach Lloyd's going to be a part of that? Uh, you Like the floor, like the most bottom they can be? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, baseline expectations. Um, I don't know. I've it's just going to really depend on consistency. Cause I mean, they fell apart at the end of last year and 
You'll just have to see because, I mean, Tubelis didn't have a great uh, tournament at all. He needs to be a key player for them. They need Kreisa to really step it up this year. So, I don't know. I think their floors maybe like middle to like fourth place in the Pac-12. Um, uh, I don't know, like a seven, eight seed maybe. I would say their floor is. Yeah, but I think it's going to get them in check uh, with this month ahead of them. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's certainly a whole lot of time yet, so it's certainly okay not to know. I mean, this as, as myself and Nick certainly know this college basketball season can take all kinds of turmoil quickly. So it's certainly okay not to know at this point. Brendan, thank you so much for uh, joining in. Today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so I want to really touch on that last point that Brendan made real quick on a, a, a tubulus. Um, this is the kind of guy, if, I think if there is a guy that is going to be a star on this team, it's going to be him. I think if there's a player from this group that is really going to excel, I mean, there's, it's a solid experience backcourt, but I think Tubos is going to have to be that guy. I view him as a player that you're a contender in this conference. Oh, 100%. I mean, of course, maybe an off last end of his season last year, um, but he still was a first-team All-Pac-12 player. He still averaged 14 points, nearly uh, six rebounds throughout the season. I mean, even if he had his downsides, his inconsistencies, um, that is nowhere near going to be maybe a knock for his expectations, his potential, what he might reach this season. Um, just the maximum expectations from me, at least for Tubalus. Yeah, I mean, I, and this is one of, me, going to be one of those years where Arizona, you have that, that sky high, you don't want to fall too far down um, right away. And I mean, that's certainly a team I would expect quite a bit out of. Also, I would expect quite a bit out of UCLA. Once again, the Bruins have sky high expectations, a massive credit to the way Nick Cronin has built up this program. Now in his fourth season, and before I get to any players amongst this team, just to kind of compare his tenure to Steve Alford, both of these guys had two second weekend appearances in their, fir in their first three years. Uh, Cronin had the, had the first year where, I mean, he couldn't do anything about it. I mean, COVID canceled the tournament. He couldn't do anything about that. Maybe would have gotten in the tournament. Probably would have had to have seen the conference tournament out to really figure that out for sure. But these last two seasons, getting to the Final Four from an 11th seed, getting to the Sweet 16 once again this last season, Steve Alfer in his first year got the Bruins to the Sweet 16 as a 4th seed, got to the second weekend as an 11th seed, but Alfer sort of dropped off a bit before getting back to the tournament in the next two seasons before failing to really reach the expectation at that UCLA program, prompting a, a moving on from Alfer and prompting Cronin to be hired. So now, year four under Cronin, it's going to be a massive year, in my opinion. And this is, a, and this is the kind of year where Cronin's going to have to continue to meet expectations. He's built the program up to the standard. He's going to have to meet that. And he's got one of the key guys in this conference to be able to do that, Jaime Hawkins Jr. He's back. And most of the pundits early on are saying he's the frontrunner for the Pac-12 player of the year. And there's certainly a lot of reason to think that. Of course, yeah. Uh... Really, he's been showing his uh, scoring prowess throughout his tenure at UCLA. Um, I mean, last year, 14 points, almost six rebounds. Uh, and the fact that he's been able to put up these scoring numbers without a consistent three ball, I feel like uh, he hearing uh, just the way that the college ball is evolving, more perimeter focus, I can, I can imagine he's been really working on that three-point shot this summer um, and an improvement to that shot. 
um, could be the key component for a potential Pac-12 Player of the Year race uh, for Hawkeyes. Yeah, I, I I really like him quite a bit. Wasn't quite at 100% last season. If he maintains a healthy full season, just imagine the possibilities uh, for someone like him. A couple other senior guards are also back for this Bruins team. Uh, Tiger Campbell, a likely point guard, and Jalen Clark will be looking to break out and take the next step after making the Pac-12 defensive team last season. You know, some of these publications have made the note of Clark making some big offensive steps. That's going to be key. And Tiger Campbell, someone who's made the first team all conference in the last two seasons, though, in the Pac-12. Easier standard of there being 10 selections for the first team all conference, though. That's a rant for another day. <laughs> for right now, Campbell and Clark, these two senior guards, providing the experience for UCLA in a big-time way. Yeah, and I want to touch on Campbell a little bit more. I mentioned uh, how Hawk is if he can really improve that that three-pointer, how he can improve as a player. Um, and Campbell, we saw last year, he really did take this jump, uh, getting more consistent as a shooter from beyond the arc, extending his range. Um, I mean, in, in Campbell's sophomore season, he shot 25% from the three-point line, which is, if you're trying to be an elite uh, guard, elite point guard in the, co- uh, in the modern basketball, uh, you're going to want that improvement, and he did. He jumped up to 41% from, from behind the three-point line, um, averaged almost a three-and-a-half more per game, um, but he's still, he's still uh, taking a, a consistent amount of shots, but just he's leaning more towards behind-the-arc shots, um, and that's why I'm loving more and more of his game. Um, and I could even see him potentially breaking out to be not just a first-team uh, Pac-12 player, but one of these the sole players in this conference yeah i mean this is i mean i mean both those players are gonna have to be key for this bruins team as are the two big freshmen in this class headlining the second best class in the conference and there's a massive drop off between ucla and arizona in those 24 7 sports rankings so really big time players here amari bailey and adam bono bailey the highest rated recruit to ucla under mick cronin McDonald's All-American, he could factor in immediately in this team. And also Adam Bona, who could be, who, who people could expect even more out of. Uh, Big-time athlete out of Nigeria and prolific, and prolific prep. A good shot blocker. He's got the athleticism. He'll be a big force inside the 6'10 freshman. And probably this team's easy candidate for that traditional five spot on the floor, that traditional center, if they choose to play one. Uh, between Bailey and Bona and, the, and these... Three experienced players. Uh, of Clark's actually a junior, not a senior. Uh, so my bad on that. But point still, good experience combined with great youth. It's the kind of build that tends to lead to great things later on in the season. 100%. And looking at Bona, he's, he's more of that that perfect inside center that you would hope for for a program like this. Uh, great score on the inside, strong, athletic. He can finish around the rim, look at with the ball, catching lobs, defending inside the rim, block, blocking those shots, grabbing those rebounds. I mean, he's everything that you would want um, if you're UCLA, if you want to add like a strong center to the to these nice guards that you have as a team. Um, and speaking of guards, of course, Amari Bailey, uh, top 10 national recruit. Some people have been looking at him as one of the best recruits coming out of high school. Um, scoring combo guard. Uh, love to see what he can do on the offensive side of things and how he'll be able to add to this this amazing backcourt tandem trio that UCLA already has. 
Yeah, that is certainly going to be the case. And, you know, this expectation, man, they're sky high for this program. I mean, Chester really uh, touched on the UCLA program, what they did really last year. And even this was a disappointment, so keep this in mind. I mean, most wins by a Bruins team since 2016-17. They had the 31-5 season, a, a fifth Sweet 16 in the last nine seasons with an incredible defense and a runner-up finish in the Pac-12 tournament and regular season with a really good with a really good system in place to really avoid turning the ball over. And yet because they didn't win the Pac-12, because they didn't get to the Final Four again, it was considered a disappointment. And that's the kind of thing I would have to give so much credit to this UCLA program under Mick Cronin. I mean, this is what Cronin has done. He's lifted the expectation, lifted the standard to what the UCLA standard honestly should be. And that's excellence at the highest level. And, I mean, it's a great credit to Cronin, and he once again has a side that is capable of winning the Pac-12. 100%. And it, it's it's really funny hearing about how they, even 31-5, and five, they weren't able to maintain those expectations, to fulfill those expectations. I think this year, any expectations that you could put out possibly for UCLA, whether it's just, just being the best Pac-12 team, whether it's a deep run in the tournament, maybe if, if it's even a Final Four or a championship appearance, I feel like UCLA has, has a very high chance of fulfilling those expectations, really. Yeah, and this is certainly going to be the case. And there's also the experience in the bench, too, like a player like David Singleton taking advantage of the extra COVID year to play, not only not only play again for the Bruins, but make it easier for his degree. I mean, with a great shooting, defense, I mean, with the leadership he has, he could be a valuable candidate for the sixth man of the year race. And UCLA has some great non-conference games. They get Kentucky on a neutral floor in the CBS Sports Classic, which has given UCLA some great non-conference games before the Pac-12 play really kicks in the full gear. They go to Maryland, giving them a class country road test, which is just phenomenal for the sport. And they're playing in the Continental Tired Main event, which might be the best four-team MTE in the country this year. UCLA's first game is against Illinois. Then they get either Baylor or Virginia, which both of those programs are going to be expected a lot out of once again. You get four programs like that in one MTE. It's two guaranteed quality games. And... My model on these MTs is usually first day is the most important day because you can really affect your strength of schedule. It might not be the case because a win or loss against Illinois, you guys have a really good opponent in day two. 100%. There's really no way to go wrong, but I, I can't, can't see expecting UCLA to, to lose any big games uh, coming with their, their experienced players and, of course, their top freshmen. But I, I, I believe that they'll be able to ignite that flame very quickly this season. Just to season. follow up on that, not expect to lose any big games like that. Just how high do you think the ceiling of this Bruins team is? I'm I'm looking at a Final Four ceiling um, in the long run. It's really going to depend on, of course, how Bone and Bailey will be able to come into this system. But, I mean, they're taking the, the, the phrase, sky is the limit, to, to the to the T this year. Yeah, this is certainly going to be one of those years for UCLA where, once again, not winning the Pac-12 will be a major disappointment for the Bruins. And, I mean, it, it might not mean Curran's on the on the hot seat necessarily, but that's just the expectation of a standard he's brought. You know, Final Fours, Conference Championships, which Cronin really still needs to get done, I think, <laughs> with the Bruins. I mean, that's the logical next step to take, and that's going to be really good for him to take on. To move on to our home program here at the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Convention at Arizona State University, and that, of course, is Arizona State. There's quite a bit to talk about here. Um, of course, within the grand scheme of the athletic department, this team itself, 
we're going to leave the athletic department, you know, the coaching. We're going to leave all of that to the side for the next seven minutes or so. Uh, with this show, we have another great guest um, coming on uh, right now. One of the uh, managers of Arizona State and a good friend of the program. He was really with me when we were getting this show started up here at Arizona State after my four years at high school. Uh, and his managerial duties really kept him from being on the Bonanza consistently. But we have brought him in as a guest for the first time. Mr. Ricky Weeps joins the program via Zoom right now. Ricky, if you are here, Ricky, you can hear us. How you doing, my man? What's going on, Nick? Great to be back on the Bonanza. You doing all right? I know the Almanac came out last week and, you know, we're like less than 40 days away from the first game. So how are you doing, Nick? How are you holding up? I'm hype. I'm very hype. I mean, I'm not sure how the Cronkite printers are holding up. I mean, that's another question for another day. Uh, but I am really excited. Probably just as much as excited as you. And, and really, you've kind of seen a little more of the inside parts than we have. And this is a team with transfers galore. I want to start off with Frankie Collins, the transferred from Michigan, who has all kinds of potential. He was a top 50 recruit out of high school, but really showed the potential in the NCAA tournament against Colorado State. Um, maybe you, you might not be able to give too much away here in this program, which I certainly understand, um, but really, just to the extent you're able to say, I mean, how has Collins really been so far? Well, you know, a lot of our point guards the last couple of years, they've been a lot of, like, score-first guys, right? Like, you have the the 15 and 19 points per game guys like Remy Martin, DJ Horn, who led the team in scoring last year. So I think Frankie is good because he brings kind of a different dynamic. I mean, you saw him put up double digit points in that NCAA tournament game against Colorado State, but he's really a facilitator, like keeps his head up, looks for the open guys, and he usually finds them. So I think he'll be a nice, you know, different kind of point guard this year for the team, which will be a nice, you know, breath of fresh air, I guess. Yeah, one of those players who just didn't get too much playing time with Michigan, so taking a step down as far as program level is concerned could be a big help uh, for the young Collins. And we're just to get, move on within this transfer conversation, the two Nevada teammates joining in, Desmond Cambridge and Warren Washington. Cambridge, two-time all-conference third team in the Mountain West the last few years, and Warren Washington has been a solid scorer and rebounder in his own white with the Nevada Wolfpack. So both Cambridge and Washington, perhaps they already have some chemistry amongst each other uh, for those two players, but just how those two players, their chemistry, how they're building chemistry with the rest of the team. You know, these are two guys that, you know, they're, they're dogs. And like Desmond is on his third school, I believe, because he started – uh, at Brown, then transferred to Nevada. So he's actually in his sixth year of college basketball, and he hasn't averaged less than 15 points per game. Like, the dude can get a bucket, don't get me wrong. And Warren also started his career at Oregon State before going to Nevada. So these guys have been around, seen a lot of different systems. Um, I think their veteran leadership is also great just because they've been around the block a time or two. And also, it's it's obvious they played together for two or three years at Nevada. Like, they, you could tell they know where each other is on the floor. But I think, you know, you walk into the gym every day, you see a seven-footer, you're like, dang, that guy is enormous. So, like, that's also a nice feeling to have, too. Yeah, yeah. I, can, I can speak to that myself, covering beach volleyball a few weeks ago, uh, interviewing uh, Chase Budinger for uh, my story with the Cronkite News. And I swear, I'm like a foot smaller than this guy. So I'm just, like, looking up. It's almost like a, looking up at a giant, almost. It is just unbelievable with some of those players. Um, but... But really, to move on within the the conversation, uh, Desmond's brother, uh, Devon, uh, Devin, coming in from Arbor, kind of really was playing the back role with that Arbor team. So perhaps didn't get to see too much of him on the big stage with Arbor, but sort of how has he come along so far, Ricky? 
Do you follow Devin on Instagram, Nick? I do not, no. Okay, so his Instagram handle is bounceman35, and I'll tell you, he lives up to that nickname because that dude can cricket jump out of the gym. I wouldn't be shocked when we have the Moonlit Madness thing, and I think it's the end of October. I wouldn't be shocked if he's in the dunk contest. He Every day is like a highlight play for him. Yeah, that, yeah. M- that might be an event that pretty much all of us has to check out. You mentioned myself, Nick, and our senior producer, man on the board, brilliant Mr. Jake Brown back there in the main room. Uh, and perhaps the biggest story of, of this season, forget the transfer, it's Marcus Bagley. Um, someone who's missed a lot of time over the last two years, someone who came into the Sunnels with sky-high potential, and, and this and a player, I mean, his presence was missed on, on this Sun Devil team last year for most of the year. All kinds of potential and that kind of appearance and behind-the-scenes stuff that we got uh, from throughout last year uh, with, some, with some people. But with someone like Bagley being back, sort of how has he taken on um, perhaps even a leadership role, which is his role coming back to this transfer-filled team? I'll just say I'm I'm very excited and, and happy for Marcus to see him hopefully play a full season, you know, injury free. Because I feel like that's what everybody's wanted, and you know, it stinks when you know a guy like that doesn't get his opportunity. And you know, three games in the last season, he's hurt again. So you know, you feel for him in that respect. But just to see him work back and get to this point, no, I'm just excited to see him hit the floor and see what he can do for the team because. You know, you mentioned he came in with these high aspirations and, uh, you know, he's a special player. So I'm, I'm just excited to see Bagley on the floor again. Yeah, one of those players that it's just been very unfortunate to not see him too much on the floor uh, in any sort of uniform, whether it's Arizona State or someone else. And so him being back with the Sun Devils could be a huge rolling with this team. Some of the returners, uh, Alonzo Gaffney, Jemiah Neal, Luther Muhammad, I mean, some of those players may have to take some big steps um, to really get this Sun Devil team quality depth and really just getting this team really back on track uh, and back to the standard that Hurley set in his first few years with the program. Just what have you seen from the returners uh, between Gaffney, Neil, Muhammad, and even some of the others and how they might be able to fit into this team? I mean, if you remember going back to last year, like towards the end of the year, we started to heat up. Like we won seven of eight, I think. You can correct me on that, but like going into Pac-12 tournament play, like, we were getting hot and we were starting to play more consistent basketball. Now, like this year compared to last year, we're bringing back a lot more guys because, you know, you're only bringing in four transfers and two freshmen as opposed to like eight or nine transfers this year or opposed to last year. So, you know, I think that core is solid, um, especially with like DJ and Alonzo Gaffney, who shot like 52% from three, the second half of Pac-12 play last year. So, um, You know, everybody knows kind of the system now. Everybody's got that chemistry. So I think that just helps, you know, going forward. You don't need to worry about the X's and O's, like what plays we're running and stuff like that. Um, And you can just focus on, you know, playing basketball at the highest level, which is what we hope to do this year. One last thing for you, really quick before I let you go, Ricky. What sort of the vibe and expectation around the program? You might not be able to say too much on that, but sort of what's the vibe around this team right now? And what sort of the team in the inside really expect really expecting out of themselves this year well i mean like just speaking for me personally like the team has something to prove like we were set to go to a third ncaa tournament our freshman year nick and since then like we haven't really had a winning season so 
we have something to prove because we brought in the talent. We know we can compete with those high-level teams. Like I know you were talking about UCLA before I jumped on. We beat them in triple overtime at home. Like we can hang with those guys. And uh, so I think just going out and proving it is the last step of that equation. And I think, you know, the vibes are great. We started practice this week and, you know, we're just, we're just ready to, to, to tip the ball at half court and, and start our season. So um, I'm just excited because it's a new year, but, but definitely, uh, you know, focused and, uh, you know, we got to win some basketball games. Yeah. And I, and I, and I know, all of us in the studio, I'm sure everyone within the program cannot wait to really get this season started. Ricky, thank you so much for uh, coming on Bananas and Time. We, we really appreciate it, my man. Appreciate it, Nick. Have a celebratory Baja blast for me, man. <laughs> I had early this afternoon. Don't worry. Thank you so much for that, Ricky. Uh, so we're really just, just hearing from him. And, you know, just hearing about a lot of these transfers, Bagley, some of the other returners, really the big question, I think, with this program is, can this program get up to, to that level of expectation? And if not, will Hurley get the axe? Um, is, this is going to be one of those things to where if the struggles really come, the clouds could be hovering, the seat's going to get hotter. Uh, but really for this ASU team, me personally, I like this team, middle of the conference, and maybe a team that can just maybe stick around in the bubble conversation into early February. Maybe they drop off, I don't know, but some of these non-conference games at SMU, trading on a neutral floor, at San Francisco, an opportunity to play Michigan in the Legends Classic as soon as they beat VCU in the first day. There's a great non-conference schedule here, a solid conference schedule. I mean, you compete for a first-round bye in the conference, and there's a lot of, we'll see. But the potential, I think, is certainly here. A hundred percent. Really excited to see how this team would do this year. Um, in terms of how hot Hurley's seat will be, will be tentative of how they play throughout the season. Of course, how their relations are. Uh, are things boiling over with the roster? Um, but I, I, looking at this team, I, I can't imagine this, is, this could be a year where Hurley goes. Um, just looking at the potential of what I see, I, I'm, may, this... Might be a homer take, might not. Of course, a student here at Arizona State, but I'm I'm extremely excited. I have a lot of high hopes for this team, and I, I don't see this being possibly a year where Hurley gets the boot. Yeah, this was one of those teams to where the chances need to build the chemistry and come together to make this team a success. If you don't do that, you do not have a successful team in this era of Portal and NIL, for specifically the Portal. That's what it comes down to. And so, you, I mean, having the, the Nevada teammates there is going to be really beneficial and Frankie Collins with all the potential he brings to the Sun Devils, and also Devin Cambridge who can have the chemistry with his brother. I mean, there's a lot, there's, there's a lot of really good chemistry links there within that transfer class. It's just now meshing together with the returners, and I certainly think also the potential is there. The matter of will they live up to it? Because I mean, this is not a UCLA, it's not an Arizona. It's not even an Oregon, which we'll talk about here next. So I mean, there will be some challenges, but I do think a step in the right direction is certainly coming for the Sun Devils. And speaking of Oregon, the Pac-12 really looking for that third or fourth bid. This is a, and we'll get to the fringe options in a second, but this is a conference that you want to talk about getting lack of bids compared to powered conferences. Try four out of the last five tournaments with four bids or less. Three of them have been three. They got a little unfortunate in 2020. Could have gotten maybe upwards of six in that tournament, really gotten that rise. And quite frankly, we're talking with a pack even more sourly 
if it wasn't for Oregon State, that bid steal, that was the fifth. And look where they ended up. <laughs> they ended up making all kinds of miracles happen in March. So it could be a lot more of a sour conversation. But the third, the third option for an NCAA tournament there within this conference is easily Oregon. This is a, a team that chemistry ruined it. I mean, they, it just didn't come together, which is incredibly rare for Coach Dana Altman. What he's done at Oregon has been phenomenal. And he gets Will Richardson, Quentin Guerriere back. I mean, these two players in particular are all packed up, or are, are all conference guys. Richardson can be on the first team easily. I mean, and, and one of the notes I, one of the notes that was really I thought was interesting within the Oregon notes really from last year in 2020. So the 2021-21-22 season, the only Pac-12 player to be named to a preseason all-conference team in those seasons. He's going to be on there for a third consecutive year. I think it's pretty much obvious. But those two players are the key to this team. Watch out for a Kalel Ware. I hope I'm not botching that first name. Highly talented freshman. A top 10 recruit. He's a contender for conference freshman of the year. I, and pieces are here for going to easily be third in this conference. Oh, yeah. Um, looking at, at Richardson returning, of course, the lead scorer for the team last year. 14 points per game. Um, was able to facilitate the team. And I, I, I find it hard to imagine them having... Uh, these chemistry issues back-to-back -back years. I mean, uh, looking at, at they have some new transfers. Claire, Claire Ware, top 10 prospect in the nation uh, coming in, will most likely run center for this squad uh, at some point. Maybe if he doesn't start the year, I can see him coming into that role. But I, I can't imagine these. they have these issues two years in a row. Um, really excited to see how, how, how they'll be able to adjust. Um, of course, a big disappointment last, last season, but... I, I I can't I can't imagine this 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 repeating. No, I, mean, I I can't either. I mean, you pair where with a healthy and Fale Dante, and the potential was there for Oregon to even creep up into second or even contend for the Pac-12 regular season championship. That's the kind of potential we're talking about with that Oregon team. It's certainly a team that is that has all kinds of excitement here uh, out of the Ducks. Uh, the fourth option to get an NCAA bid, USC. Now, that does come with a big caveat. Their front court. Uh, Fitz, uh, Iwuchukuru, I hope I'm not botching that. I think I got that about the best of my ability. He is he is out indefinitely after suffering a cardiac arrest this summer. Certainly hope he gets better. But that just makes a thin front court already. I mean, it's, it's, even, it's even more thin now. And it's going to really test the role of freshman Kajani Wright, one of the better freshmen of this USC class. He's going to be a huge role. Uh, outside of him, you have some inexperienced forwards. Uh, at, with them being sophomores, they're going to have to play a big role in that front quarter, make it better. Uh, but the backcourt phenomenal between Boogie Ellis and Drew Peterson, two players who really should both be all-conference kind of players. I mean, Boogie Ellis, we'll see if he gets honorable mention or second team at the, at the end of the line. Drew Pierce is a first-team kind of guy, and, and he may creep his way into the conversation for a conference player of the year. It's a really good backcourt, but I really am afraid that the Trojans are going to be hampered by their frontcourt. Oh, yeah, of course, with the really unfortunate situa situation with Vincent. But behind Kajani Wright, there's, there's, there already wasn't a lot of depth. Of course, uh, Wright coming in as a top-50 prospect, but, I mean, besi besides Vincent, who... It has this uh, unfortunate situation that I don't know if there's a timetable right now, but it's it's looking like he might be the only sole piece in this front court. And uh, in the, in this Pac-12 conference, 
Um, you're looking at a lot, of, a lot of great backcourts, but in terms of the front court, USC they can't afford if they want to have a potential NCAA tournament run. They just can't have only one good front court uh, piece if in terms of uh, dominance, really. Yeah, I mean, you look at some of the t- I mean, you look at the top three teams in this conference that we've already talked about. I look at Oregon and Quincy Guerriere. I mean, just imagine him just really getting after an inexperienced sophomore on USC. I look at Arizona with, with Tubulus. I mean, you, you imagine him just beating uh, beating down and really backing down an inexperienced sophomore on that team consistently if Wright can do the job. You look at UCLA and some of the pieces they have as well. I mean, that, I mean, and, and the freshmen. I mean, I mean, that's really all part of it. At Adebona, I mean, that's really just they all have great front court pieces. That's the thing separating USC from the rest of this conference. The front court, they're gonna have to figure it out. Someone's gonna have to break out and be phenomenal for USC to really get into that top three. I view this as, and this might be a spoiler for the end of the show, a tier for the top three and a tier for number four separately. And I'm going to get to that right now because the rest of this conference, I mean, if, if, if we're talking about a conference that wants to get more than four bids and really get the standard back up, this is going to be a really rough run. I mean, we've talked about ASU already in, in, in depth with Ricky and some of our thoughts. I mean, the potential is certainly there. You look at a team like Stanford. I mean, you look at I mean, Harrison Ingram's really the headline returnee for Stanford. I mean, he's he's can really improve his shooting and be more like Spencer Jones, as the senior there, one of the best shooters in the conference. He can be more of a small forward, get that three spot there on the floor. Maxine Reynolds, the sophomore, he might take he might have to be the, the, the guy that takes that step up. And if he won't, if he's not starting, is he the sixth man to provide that height? And, and you can talk about this for a few seconds uh, before moving on to some of these other teams. The biggest thing for Stanford, take care of the basketball. They have been horrible at this the last, like, I don't know, like four or five years. And it's something they've got to get better at. I mean, considering it's Stanford, you, you would assume they'd be a, li- a little smarter with the ball. But uh, you you know what to expect from, from Jones coming out of this year. But it's really... Uh, how will these other these other returning players? How will they be able to step up into this role if they want to have a chance for a bid this year? Yeah, I would take the cheap innovation, Douglas Stanford, but I'm not going <laughs> to do that. We are unbiased analysts here in this show, the knowledge basketball fans. Even though if we have some homer takes the issue every once in a while, but we are unbiased, so no cheap innovation digs on this show for sure. Uh, but Washington State, Muhammad Guy could be the defensive player of the year in this conference. Had some great flashes. Uh, with, with this Washington State team last year, but it needs to be more consistent. Uh, Deshaun Johnson's not a bad option either for the Cougars. And you have potential in the backcourt with Tennessee transfer Justin Powell. The, the, the problem here for Washington State, in my mind, I mean, he, he, it's one of those players he has, he has got to have the, the potential. I mean, is it going to live up to it? We don't know. And then you have other questions of players who may not be all that experienced. I mean, TJ Bama had some good production. I mean, he may have to take another step up for that. Outside of that, you have some more inexperienced, inexperienced junior and then some more freshmen below that. Some big questions there. And then Colorado in, in particular. I know Washington also has some really solid pieces as well, uh, which I will touch on one of them in our next segment. But for Colorado, I mean, you have some pieces like Tristan DeSoto and KJ Simpson who, if they both together become stars and really excel – Potential's there for them to, to be in that bubble conversation into February, with DeSoto being a really fat, versatile player and something coming off a Pac-12 all-freshman kind of year. But is there a reliable, solid third main option? And I don't mean supplemental. I don't mean having these two guys, DeSoto and Simpson, being the two main options, having three, four, five, six, really supplementing the two. 
I'm talking about a third main option that makes it impossible for teams to game plan around to Silva and, and Simpson. Just kind of like keep, just kind of keep the the careful on the others. I'm not. I'm I'm looking for a third or fourth main option. This Colorado team, I don't see it. I I really don't see it. So. I mean, there's just so many questions in my mind around this conference getting to that that five big mark, which is a mark that has that has become really elusive for this conference. Which for a power conference, that's bad. I just want to make that point perfectly clear. That's bad if you're shooting for five for a power conference. I mean, I understand that six is the halfway mark, but Big Trump has ten. They're consistently there. So I mean, there's no excuse there. Where do you think the realistic goal should be for this conference as far as the number of bids they, they, they're going to get? I feel like you have uh, maybe th- three, maybe maybe four, depending on how USC's front court can, uh, can develop this year. I feel like you have three locks, uh, but I, I'm looking at, at five would be five would be uh, an important step for this conference. Four, four, is, four is definitely would be something to perhaps celebrate a little bit. Wouldn't be a huge celebration, but... Getting five teams into the tournament would be would be huge in my in my eyes. And, and this is even leaving out the conversation about UC, USC still going to Big Ten in a few years. I mean, woo, we is this conference nuts right now as far as how much turmoil it might be down the line. Uh, but we're gonna leave the future for another conversation. We're gonna get back to the present and the business end of our show. Uh, our preseason honors are top three players, top three transfers, and our f- preseason freshmen on the year. We're going to start with the freshman. I'm going to let you go first with the freshman of the year, actually, this time. Uh, so I'm going to be taking uh, Amari Bailey for uh, going into UCLA. Uh, top 10 national recruit. Been looked at as one of the best combo guards in the country. Uh, just an absolute score. Uh, there's a couple other great pieces uh, or great other freshmen coming into this conference. But Amari Bailey, just one of the top national prospects. Um, excited to see how he can develop in this UCLA system. Um, of course, going to be under Tiger Cambo, uh, Jaime Hawkes. It's going to be how he'll be able to learn from those really experienced players. Um, and I think he'll really be able to come into his own for this potentially one-year uh, stint of his UCLA career. Yeah, I'm going the other way with UCLA and going with, with, the, with Adam Bowen, someone who can be really athletic and just really be a huge athlete and be a huge force inside. And I go the other way because I think some of the other perimeter players will outshine Bailey. Uh, Bailey is certainly a great piece of that perimeter, but I think that Bowen's going to be the one that shines the most in that front court uh, other than Bailey, but both are great options. I'm also keeping my eye on, on Khalil Ware from Morgan, like I said earlier. Uh, I certainly think that he is going to be a big part of that conversation, and it could be a battle to the, to the Pac-12 tournament as to who wins the freshman of the year and, or newcomer of the year if you include the transfers or wherever you want to go with that. But as far as freshman year conversations, both the UCLA options, where from Oregon, I think are all really good options to really go with. Uh, let's get your uh, top three transfers coming in here. Um, I'm going to be looking at uh, a couple of different ones, of course. Uh, Courtney, Courtney Ramey uh, coming into Arizona from Texas. Uh, average average of like nine points, um, but definitely taking over a different role uh, with Arizona. Also looking at uh, Keon Brooks in Washington coming from Kentucky. Average 11 points. Didn't have the biggest role with that team, um, but coming over to the Pac-12, uh, I could definitely see him upping his role. Um, and my main my main one, uh, Jermaine Cousinard coming into Oregon. Um, how this how this Oregon team is going to adapt this year with with him as a big transfer, Clell Ware as a big freshman. Um, I I see this Oregon team as one of those locks for the NCAA tournament, perhaps even a a, 
a contender for that Pac-12 championship. Um, and I think it'll come down to how much of a key piece he will be as a transfer for this team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm looking at Keon Brooks as the number one. Um, and when he did at Kentucky, particularly the last few years, stepping into the starting role uh, last year and just excelling there and, and really excelling, nearly 50% from the floor. His three-point shooter can do some work. He's not a, tr- a traditional three-point shooter. Let, let, let's be real with that. Um, his free throw shooting, 78%, not bad. Could use a little mark there, but nearly 11 points per game. I mean, that's the kind of mark you really want out of a player at, at a Kentucky starter level who's not the star guy uh, like an Oscar Shibley, and certainly some that's going to be uh, one to watch there. I also agree with Corey Ramey. He's my, my number two. After Brooks and Ramey becomes a little more difficult, uh, I am putting uh, Michael Jones from Stanford at the number three spot. He has proven himself kind of the same arc as Keon Brooks. Uh, with Kentucky, only Jones in the A-10 with Davidson. Um, and uh, between seasons, uh, one in which he kind of took a back uh, backseat, uh, really playing off the bench a lot more in, in, in 2021, and then being the full-time starter again in 21-22, he took massive steps in his three-point shooting, a massive step in his three-point shooting to 85%, which, I mean, 74 out of 87, I mean, that's really good numbers there. Scoring 12 points per game, I mean, improving the rebound errors that they should be for a full-time starter, improving the assist errors that they should be for a full-time starter, same thing with the blocks and the steals, I mean, improving all the errors that where you want them from a starter, I assure you that's going to be a big part of that. I'm also keeping an eye on Frankie Collins. I'm also keeping an eye on Desmond Cambridge of Arizona State. I think both those players have the potential to be huge contributors in this ASU team and also part of this conversation. I mean, after Brooks and Ramey, it's just a lot of quality transfers coming into this conference where it is difficult to separate them. Uh, finally, to you first, your top three preseason Pac-12 players of the year. Um, so for my top three, I'm going to be looking at uh, Jaime Hawkes, uh, UCLA, uh, Contender last year, contender this year, maybe even the perhaps the sole contender. Um, also looking at, at Tiger Campbell, of course, it, it might be a little weird of a pick to have have two guards on the same team going for the same role. But the way that Tiger Campbell, as I touched on earlier, has been able to improve his perimeter shooting, the way he's been able to develop as a player under the system. Um, if he if he keeps going on this trajectory that he's on, I could see him being this like the the player in the Pac-12. Um, another another pick, uh, Tubulus for Arizona uh, didn't have the, the the biggest of of years last year. Um, you had you had a lot of, a lot of other emerges from Arizona, but this year I see this as the year for him to to as- establish himself as this player. I, yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, the TUC late guards, like you said, very interesting uh, pick there, man. I certainly think Jaime Hawk is going to be. The leading candidate, if not the official preseason player of the year in the Pac-12, I think Azula Studios is the number two guy. I mean, I mean, what Arizona needs is the guy to stand out. Who's gonna be the standout star? And just based on what on what the record has already shown, I think Tua is the likely guy. But I certainly think whichever Arizona player steps up, becomes that star, is the number two man in the, in the race. For me, number three is between Will Richardson and Drew Peterson. I look at both these guards. Really great guards, both of them. I mean, they're both going to be first-team all-conference kind of guys, given the 10 selections in the conference. I mean, we don't want, we, we don't like that here, but it is what it is. I'm going for Richardson for Oregon over Peterson, but it's a very close race between three and four with those two players. And that will be a really fun race to watch between Hawkeyes, Richardson, and Peterson. In particular, the race for the best guard in the conference. 
I think all three of them can certainly step up and take it, but really Hawkins just has that advantage over both of them. So to get on to our preseason forecast, of course, as in previous weeks, to give our top five out here on the show. To find our top seven, you can follow us on Twitter, at College Finance, we'll release our top seven tomorrow. On Monday, you're not going to want to miss that. Make sure to show. follow us on Twitter at Kyle Fernanda. And I'll kind of walk you through my thing for the six and seven spots at least. Well, I actually will give out a number six here on the show um, just to kind of go through that thinking. But my number five here is Stanford. And this really is between five teams. I think you're looking at several different tiers here outside of the top four. You're looking at Stanford. You're looking at a team like Washington, Colorado, Wazoo, and Arizona State. Those are the five teams that they are going to be clamoring for the best possible first-round matchup in the Pac-12 tournament, which is going to be Oregon State at 12. Um, I mean, Oregon State, they're not that good. Sorry. I mean, I mean they're, they're just not. I mean, they got their flash of glory in, in 2021, and then they, I mean, it just has not been good since. I mean, I mean one conference win last year, just no improvement for Oregon State. I mean, that's just kind of the thing, the thing of it. Uh, but Stanford, I think, of these five teams, there's just more there. Um, so the potential for Arizona State, my number six, is certainly there. It's just potential that has to be realized yet. And, and the chemistry, I mean, it's one of those things where I just don't know the chemistry until I actually see it, you know? You can see a lot in practice. You can see a lot out of Moonlight Madness, Midnight Madness, a traditional term for it. You need to see it in games. And it's, it's a question after what we saw last year, early on in the year. There's a lot of talent there. I certainly gets it together. But really, I mean, I, mean, I, I guess I'm not getting on my top six officially here. I mean, you look at, I mean... ASU and Stanford, I think they are just a tiny step above those, uh, the Wazoo, Washington, and Colorado, but ASU 6, Stanford 5. Yeah, even even I, I keep going, flipping back and forth, even throughout the show, uh, between Stanford and uh, ASU for my 5 spot, but it, it's even taken until just now to, to get it cemented in, um, but I, as an unbiased source, of course, am going to put ASU as my number 5 spot, um, just increasingly getting more and more excited, even uh, talking in the show, looking, getting some, uh, some, and not inside sources, but getting some, some, talking, talking out of, about it with the potential of this roster. Um, just uh, really excited to see how it'll turn out with all these, all these new transfers. Um, I, I think that they'll be able to to mesh together, get this chemistry going. Um, and be that solid five spot in the conference. Yeah, it certainly helps to have the power of the Cronkite student base. And we certainly <laughs> thank Brendan and, and Ricky for their time tonight on a Sunday night as well. We really appreciate that. My number four is USC, though. I am very concerned about this team. The, the roster as it was built was the solid number four. Without that highly talented five-star freshman, I mean, the front court just becomes thinner. I mean, I could easily see Stanford or ASU jumping the Trojans. Uh, but for right now, I think the back bar of USC is just too strong, way stronger than the rest of the the rest of the conference below them. Not as strong as the other as the other three teams, but compared to the rest of the teams, the back is way stronger, and that might be enough to carry them to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I usually have uh, have my rankings as what I think the the baseline for the team is, but I see I only see uh, number four as a, a ceiling for USC. Of course, with how strong I think the top three in this conference are, um, the ceiling for any potential other team would be for um but with just with how the the unfortunate front court situation uh with vincent going out unknown timetable um and how thin the front court has become uh there, there's there's potentially not a lot of 
potential for this lineup. It'll really be dependent on how good this backcourt can be. And I don't think they, they can be strong enough to break into that top three without getting some more consistency from their bigs. My number three is Oregon. This is the team that I think will be ranked at some point this season. The talent is there. They need to get the chemistry to live up to my expectation I just gave them. And it's an Oregon team that I certainly expect an at-large NCAA tournament bid out of. And who knows? I mean, the Almanac, which just came out with featuring the guys of the field of 68, Frumble Commits, Heat Check College Basketball, 3 and Leave, an amazing publication. I've been working the Cronkite Predators to get the Power Conference stuff printed out throughout the week. They have Oregon at two. And I certainly think that potential is valid as well. But for me, I just think Arizona is a tad bit better than Oregon. So Oregon at number three. Uh, Oregon at number three as well. But going back to where I have the rankings as a baseline, I think Oregon is is it, their potential uh, exceeds them for their that possible number two, maybe not number one spot, but number three is a safe spot for Oregon. Um, of course, Will Richardson coming back, um, getting Kalel Ware as a nice uh, freshman, having some transfers come in. Um, I see this as a very solid team, uh, going to be very fun to watch throughout the season in the Pac-12 tournament, especially. I'd love to see how they can do uh, with that heat of battle going in it, like, as it intensifies. But I think that it's a, it's, a very, it's a very solid spot at three for them. Yeah, my number two, Arizona, with the potential to defend their conference regular season championship. It will not be an 18-2. It just won't be. There won't be that kind of domination. But I think that this team, it's, it's just a solid number two, I think between Arizona and Oregon. And actually, there's a separate tier here, too. I think Oregon's kind of like on the known as three. And I think Arizona and my number one, UCLA, they're just kind of battling with each other, I think. And they, these, the, the head-to-head series would be very important. I, I certainly would expect a split out of the, out of the two games they play. Um, or or if, they, if, they, if they do end up, end up playing two, I'm pretty sure they do. Uh, but I certainly think Arizona shows a tad better than Oregon. Uh, and I certainly think there's a great chance that they could find the one or two main stars they can defend their conference title. I really do. I mean, looking at this roster, I, I, I see a, a decent gap between one and two. But Arizona is still a, a very, very cemented two spot. Um, of course, exceeded all expectations of them last year, having that, that 18 and two uh, run. Uh, but I, I, I like their returners. I liked I like Tubeless coming in. Um, Talked a little bit more about uh, about Larson earlier in the show. The sixth man of the year um, might might have a, a larger role this season, maybe even a starter. Um, but it's how all these players are going to uh, adjust and adapt, and how they'll be able to uh, come into this year with it with a new look. We had this great season last season. How can we capitalize on this uh, at Arizona at two? Yeah, and my belt have UCLA at number one, obviously here, or at least I would hope it's Hopkins <laughs> yeah. at this point. Uh, but, but at least on the rest of the show, I mean, you said it earlier, Final Four kind of ceiling. I mean, this this is definitely one of those teams where I can say Mission Houston. You know, this is one of those teams I could say that. I mean, there's about seven, eight teams, perhaps I could really say that. I think UCLA they have the piece, they have the, the experience required for a deep run. They have the freshman who can really bloom into that. And I'll give you the final, final word just real quickly on this uh, Bruin team with all kinds of potential to really do something. Yeah, I, the, the potential, I see them potentially as as a national championship contender, a Final Four lock in my eyes, but it, it'll be how they can how they can adapt with their two new freshmen, Bona and Bailey coming in uh, and learning this new system. If they if they can get their their pistons firing, if they can get their their gears moving and twisting, uh, I think that this could this could be a number one team in the nation. That that it would surprise <laughs> if they got up there it, it, for at least a week. 
<laughs> and then that's just kind of what we're talking about there with them. So that is it for us in this Pac-12 preview. Again, our thanks to Brandon and Ricky for joining us. Jake did a great job from the uh, the board over there. He's giving us a nice big wave. Hopefully you can see our video podcast on Spotify. With that, next week, the Big 12, we have the two gauntlets left for our power conferences. The gauntlet of the Midwest, the Big 10, and just the gauntlet, the Big 12. And we're talking about them next week. And so we got a lot to cover with them there. We're hoping to have our women's basketball coverage introduced in the next few weeks. But, of course, for the official news, whenever it drops, you can follow us on Twitter at College Bernanza. And also follow us for all our great content. I mean, why not just follow us for official news from the show? We can just follow us for our great content. It's a great idea, too. So make sure to do that at College Bernanza. Again, Jake, a great job manning the board with the, our Zoom interviews today. You got one more job, my man. It's a little, you queue up one shiny moment. You got it? And I got it. He's got it, he says. That's a great way. We're out of time. Have a great week, everyone.